This is the final part of the series that's called Text Message. And you may remember that I said, although the word text has become a verb in our culture for the last decade or so, I text, she texts, they texted, uh, I'm not using it as a verb, I'm using it as a noun. Uh, It is the text, the, the message, the written word of God, God's message to us, the scriptures. Uh, the first week was about illumination, a doctrine of illumination, how truth is revealed to us. The second week was inspiration, where we get our scriptures, where they came from, where they originated. Last week was application, that's how to be changed by the word. And this morning we get even more practical as we talk about foundation, how scripture gives us stability. So let me tell you a little bit about Lauren and Kate. Uh, They grew up in the church that I pastored, and uh, both girls, I would say, came from stable families. Uh, They had parents who cared for their children. Uh, Lauren and Kate were both in our youth group. They didn't just attend, they were involved. Uh, They went on mission trips, they did service projects, Uh, they served in other ways. Both of them professed their faith in Jesus, both of them were Uh, baptized publicly in front of the church. At some point during their high school years, both of their mothers got seriously ill. Lauren's mother had cancer. I don't remember what kind. Uh, Kate's mom was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Both girls, of course, prayed for their mothers to be healed. I was one of several pastors that ministered to these women. Uh, Lauren's mom did not get better. After years of treatment, she died. Lauren's faith during that time actually grew stronger and stronger. Her love for Jesus grew. The trauma of her mother's cancer, the grief of her death, brought Lauren closer to Christ. There she found comfort and peace and strength to go on. Kate was different, however. Years later, in fact, her mother is still alive. Uh, But since her mom did not get healed from MS, Kate actually began to doubt God. Despite her mother's own faith, the disease pushed Kate further away until she rejected everything that she used to believe. And now this uh, bright and talented young woman does not even believe that there is a God. So how could two people who heard all the same things at the same church react so differently well jesus tells us what the difference is listen to this very familiar parable matthew 7 therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock the rain came down the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who's built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, I've been familiar with that story since I was a little kid. I've taught it. I've had it taught to me. You're probably very familiar with it. It was years before I recognized some very obvious things in this parable that Jesus tells. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones helped me to to see 
Uh, for instance, what these two men shared in common. Some similarities. So let me point out what is the same about these two builders. Uh, first of all, they shared the same goal. That's obvious. Each one was building his house. Now in that culture, home building happened at a very specific point in time in, in someone's life. A young man preparing for marriage had to build a house before the wedding. If that was true in our culture, Amy and I still would not be married to this day. But that was that culture. And, and, uh, but, but I don't want you to limit it because Jesus does not limit this story. This, this is a story for all of us. Jesus widens the application. And, and this is to male, female, young, old, married, single, homeowner, or renter. We are all building just as these men are. We're all building something of significance. We all have this overarching uh, goal of building a family or building a meaningful life or whatever it is. We all share that same goal of building. Uh, the next thing that they shared that was similar, similar was they heard the same teaching. Jesus taught everyone who hears these words of mine. Uh, th these are men who heard the same thing. So they're in the same small group. They're in the same Bible study, the same worship service. So we're not talking about one guy who goes to church every week and one guy who sits home watching football. Uh, we're not even talking about a guy who sits in church disinterested or distracted. Both guys want to hear. Both guys are sitting through the same sermon. They're listening to the same truth from Jesus. Third similarity. They face the same storm. I, I read this story so many times and didn't even recognize this very simple fact. Jesus describes the exact same storm. Rain, floods, winds for both of these houses. I say, well, why is that important? Uh, well, let me tell you. Our, our house is about four miles from here. We can have a tremendous storm here at the church when I'm in my office and it's completely dry at home. Sun shining, wonderful. And vice versa, hail somewhere, but just a few miles away. Nothing, nothing. So what does it tell us about these two men? They're facing the exact same storm. Uh, they are in fact neighbors. They live right next to each other. And they're seeing the same devastating hurricane. Experiencing the exact same thing. We also face storms of every variety. Storms are inevitable and they are necessary. And don't let anyone tell you there won't be any storms in your life. They're lying to you. They're lying to you. Even if he's a preacher, he's lying to you. There are storms. And although these two builders shared the same goal, heard the same message, faced the same storm, there are some differences. Let's point out the differences. First difference, they had different characters. Jesus calls one of them wise and one of them foolish. And you know which one you want to be, right? I do. Wise is to have your wits about you. It's to act intelligently. It's to make the right choices. No one wants to be foolish. That's a, a character flaw. The Greek word that Jesus... Let me teach you some Greek now. The Greek word Jesus uses for foolish is the word moron. You got that Greek down now? Don't use it. Don't use it. Nobody is taking notes today so they can be a better moron, right? No. Uh, they had different characters. Uh, next difference. They had different foundations. 
One built on the rock, the other built on sand. Now, who builds on sand? Yeah, we do it all the time. Uh, if the location is desirable, then the house gets built on the beach or in the marsh or in the floodplain, right? Now, the difference is, as Luke in his gospel records Jesus' story, the difference is he says the wise man dug down deep. So what you have is you've got one guy digging down to the rock to put the house, and the other guy saying, hey, this is beachfront property. Let's just start right now and build it on the sand. Uh, he starts at ground level. Uh, now, without all the work of a foundation on the rock, what's going to happen? You've got two building projects that are going to have vastly different timetables. Uh, because the, the, the wise man, he's going to be digging. It's, it seems like his project hasn't started yet. He's digging a hole you don't see. Nothing's going up. It's going down. And the other house goes up quickly. Now, the most famous of, of bad foundations is the Leaning Tower of Pisa, the uh, the builders discovered that the site they'd chosen wasn't solid rock as they thought, but water-soaked clay. And what happens when you have something like this? It becomes a tourist attraction. As Anthony Evans says, a life without the right foundation is a tourist attraction. He says, now they should have known this because a thousand years before the tower was built, the town was named Pisa, which means marshy land. So the tower leans because it's located in Pisa. That's why. So without that right foundation, things go bad. you got a building that's there for show. You can put it up quickly, and on the surface it looks fine, but that different foundation has a problem. And that leads us to the next difference, the third difference, is that there are different results. Different results. One did not fall. The other fell with a great crash. After the storm, only one house stood. It was a mega wreck. That's the word for great. Mega. It's a great crash. There's nothing left for FEMA to fix. Now, now don't miss this. That before the storm, you could have walked by both of these places and not seen a difference. You could have, there was no difference between the two houses probably. You could talk to both of the builders and I, I doubt you'd be able to spot which one's wise and which one's foolish. On the surface, both of these buildings were identical until the storm. So here's the reality. Only the storm can verify your foundation. When the storm strikes, it reveals whether you're obeying God's truth or just listening to it. And that's why storms are so necessary. We don't want them. I don't think anyone is sitting here going, you know, I don't have enough hurricanes in my life i just don't have enough trouble i need some more trouble no we don't want that we'd all like to experience our best life now we'd like to have all our sicknesses healed and our our relationships peaceful and our jobs secure but any house can stand during the sunshine it's not until the hurricane blows that your foundation is put to the test so it might not be the new marriage, the new house, the new baby, the new job that tests your foundation, but it will surely be the loss of a job, the troubled marriage, the death of a loved one, the rebellious child, the cancer that puts your foundation to the test. And some of you have such a weak foundation, so little foundation, that's going to take a very, very little storm to bring destruction. And what this parable does is Jesus is calling you to examine your life now before any serious hurricane hits to determine if you're founded on the right thing. Are you founded on Jesus alone? His Word alone. 
See, this message of Jesus is so vital for us to grasp. Because you like to think, just like me, you like to think, well, my situation, very unique. You know, if they had my parents, they wouldn't be doing so well either. If they went through what I went through, if they had the baggage that I had, if they had the problems that I had, then you'd be in trouble too. You'd be struggling too. Life would be impossible for you. The disadvantages, my, my bad breaks, my tragedies are so awful and so unique, and that's why I struggle. And that thinking is a mistake. Jesus presents two guys with the same goal, the same teaching, the same storm, and yet the results are so different. Why? Both heard. Only one did. Both heard. One did. And see, you can have all the facts and still be a moron. That's the last time I'm going to say that. You can hear great teaching and still be a fool. See, your greatest problem is not lack of information. It's lack of obedience. So you have to do something based on truth. And every storm is that opportunity for you to realize that and deal with that. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says that there is no better foundation than Jesus Christ. There's no other foundation that's going to last or survive. He is, as the Bible says, the rock of our salvation. He's the one we cling to. He's the only Savior who can handle the greatest storms. And when you make Him and His Word the center of gravity, nothing can take you down. You anchor to that foundation not simply by taking in truth about Jesus, but by putting the truth of Jesus into practice. It's not information that allows you to survive the storm, but application. William Hendrickson, the the great uh, expositor, said, for every hearer of the Gospel, crisis is surely coming. That doesn't sound like good news, does it? But that's the truth. That's what Jesus says again and again. You want to be a hearer of the Word? Understand, crisis is coming. It can be individual and personal. It can be vast and wide. There's crisis coming. And so the only way to survive that is the rock of our salvation. Every one of us is going to go through some type of hurricane. You're either in one now, or you're coming out of one, or or there's one around the corner. What might that hurricane be? What if the one who committed to love you forever suddenly announced that it was over. How would you cope with that? If every day at school there was someone who bullied you, who taunted you, who called you names, how would you deal with that? If you received news that you had an inoperable tumor, how would you react to that? If you lost your job and the chances of getting another one anytime soon were grim, what steps would you take? If your loved one was diagnosed with dementia, what would you do? If your friends excluded you and kept you out of their group, their circle, how would you handle that? If you lost your retirement account when your company was bought out, what would you do? Those are the kinds of storms that test your foundation. And the only way to survive is to take seriously Jesus' lesson of these two men. Both heard, one did. See, the wise and foolish are all sitting in church today. Churches all over this country, all over this world, they're all all sitting in church, the wise and the foolish. And those of you who believe but don't obey are just as foolish as those who refuse to listen at all. Christ is the only foundation for salvation. There's no salvation apart from Him. You will not survive the storm of God's wrath apart from Jesus. See, 
Sin must be paid for. All of us are sinners. We all fall short of the perfection of God. And so that you have two choices. You're either going to pay eternally for your sin, or Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. And so He's the only rock for salvation. He's the only way out. But also for the storms of this life, if your life is founded in Jesus for, for salvation, you cling on, build on the foundation of His Word, not simply by hearing, but by doing. Not just by taking in truth, but by putting into practice. So let me give you some examples of what it means to have God's Word as your center of gravity. One, the Word impacts spending. Jesus said in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. So put this word of Jesus into practice and your choices are going to be shaped by your commitment to love God with your money, not love money. You will be concerned about frivolous buying and spending. You will be generous instead of tight-fisted. And your, your mo- main motivation in life won't be the bottom line. It, it will be something shaped by God's Word. So the Word does impact just how you spend. Second way, the Word governs relationships. 2 Corinthians 6 says, don't become partners with those who reject God. What do light and darkness have in common? This is one of several Scriptures that, that say, hey, if you claim to follow Jesus, that puts a pretty clear circle around the dating pool in your life. And yet so often, professing Christians ignore that foundation and they date or marry an unbeliever. And the rationale sounds something like this. They have such a good job. She's so hot. I've heard that one more than any other one. Or, it can't be any worse than the Christian I married last time. But putting God's Word into practice governs your relationships by determining who you partner with, and when and how, from business to marriage and beyond. Next, the word shapes reactions. Jesus said, Luke 6, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for out of the overflow of his heart his mouth speaks. That's very obvious and plain what Jesus is saying there. And if anger spills out of you, if lies spill out of you or arrogance spills out of you it's a heart issue something going on in your heart and if what comes out of you is only nice after a few drinks or isn't nice after a few drinks that's a heart issue putting god's word into practice shapes your reactions how you speak and and deal with others and then another one the word promotes peace jesus said john 14 my peace i give to you do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid That's pretty clear too, isn't it? Jesus promises peace. Put your hope in me, he says. I'll give you peace. Whatever your fear is over whether it's what's going to happen tomorrow or about your family issues or health issues or death, Jesus offers peace. Putting his word at the center, you you trust that you have no reason to fear ultimately because his peace is the constant. And with that foundation, you're not going to get sucked into the fear-mongering that is so prevalent and some churches, and politicians, and news agencies. Because with His Word as the foundation, you're going to react so much differently. 
A troubled heart is not going to be a permanent situation, a permanent condition. Do we get troubled at times, worried at times? Yes, but that's when we understand we need to put out, the Word of Jesus needs to be the resting place for my fears. Here's a great example. Philippians chapter 4, very well-known text. Do not be anxious about anything. Present your request to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So anxiety does not have to overwhelm you. Just keep declaring your needs to God, and His peace will guard you. How does that work? Well, let me give you a silly example. Put some leftover, a plate of leftovers in the microwave. I put it on a setting which probably said, will destroy your mouth, because after a little bit, I go, and the, and the plate is just so hot. I mean, it's almost glowing. The food is boiling and bubbling. And so I have to get an oven mitt to take the plate out of the microwave. And I can still feel it's kind of a hot plate and the food's hot. But you know, then I'm, I, I'm sitting there with, with holding it with the, the oven mitt and eating and did burn my mouth and it's terrible. But um, I see God's peace like the oven mitt. He doesn't promise that the issue that's giving you grief will go away. That's not what it says at all. He says His peace will guard your heart and mind. In other words, you might still feel the heat, but you can handle it because His peace shields you. And if you're not, Jesus said, you're not putting that word into practice, you can hear that word, but until you do it, how do you do it? Well, you give Him. You continually present your issues, your problems to Him and, say God, and ask constantly for Him to guard your heart and mind. And if you don't do that, you're in danger of collapsing under the next storm. Now, here's the question I have for you. Is it possible that you trust Jesus about your future salvation, your eternal salvation, but you're unable to trust Him for the hell you're going through today? Yes, I believe Jesus can save me from eternal damnation, from hell itself, but you're struggling because you're going through things today. You've accepted the good news about the death and resurrection of Jesus, that that provides the way of salvation for all who believe. You accept the sacrifice of God's Son and payment for your sin. His blood spilled out. You put your trust in Him that washed clean from your sin and gives you eternal life, gives you a new identity as a son or daughter of the living God. You say, I know that, I believe that, but my life stinks. I'm going through hell right now. Why is God letting this happen? And you find it a challenge to trust Jesus today. Some of you might think you're very, very solid, but when a storm comes, it might well reveal the immaturity and superficiality of your faith. Others of you might not think you're strong at all, but when the storm comes, it will show that you have anchored yourself to the rock. Because it doesn't matter how strong you are, what matters is what you're anchored in. Who your foundation is. Is Christ the solid rock on which you stand? See, here's the difference between a Christian and a pseudo-Christian. The foundation. And there are many, many people who identify themselves as Christians in our country who built on a foundation other than Christ alone. They've attached themselves to a business or to the American dream or to a hobby or to a religious ritual or to their family or to a political party. I read a few days ago this, this quote from uh, Wheaton Prof. Dr. Amy Black. And she's quoting from a study that's done. She says, many quote-unquote Christians would stop being Christian before they stop being Democrat or Republican. Let me tell you, that is the wrong foundation. That's going down. Whatever it is. 
And if you attach yourself, found yourself on financial security or on your education or on your circle of friends or on success rather than Jesus, that's going to crumble. He's the only firm foundation that will withstand the storm. That's what John Ramsey discovered. Uh, John's hellish experiences are well known. After using his, losing his daughter Beth in a car accident in 1992, John says, and I quote, my immature faith in God plummeted to the bottom. Now over time he began to heal and he became convicted and convinced about the truth of the Bible and the reality of Jesus. Four years after that, John Bonet, his six-year-old daughter with wife Patsy, was murdered. And as probably every one of us knows, the, the, the Ramsey family became the focus of the police investigation for years. They were later exonerated, and the Boulder Police Department issued an apology. Patty, Patsy Ramsey died of ovarian cancer in 2006. And after all of that suffering, here's why John said he survived. Here's what he said. Here's what, how I survived all this that's gone on in my life. He, he said, I had accepted that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. God, who came to earth in the form of man to provide the sacrifice for the God of perfect justice. You see, John's saying his survival was based on the truth of the Bible and the person of Jesus. That's how he survived, he says. None of us would want to go through the kind of misery that he's been through. But his story is an example that what Jesus said is true. Who's going to survive the storm? The one who puts God's Word into practice. Putting God's Word into practice is the only way to survive the storm, whatever that storm is, big or small. You can't base yourself, your life, on something you don't know. So here's the very practical thing I'm going to encourage. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do, encourage you to do, that you need to continue to expose your life to God's truth. That's an essential first step. And so I want to invite you to invest time in a Bible reading plan. If you don't already have one, I'm just going to give you one real easy. It's called the Essential 100. This plan includes 100 carefully selected Bible passages, 50 from the Old Testament, 50 from the New Testament. And if you have the YouVersion Bible app, all you have to do is search plans, and it's one of those plans. So this is completely free and easy. You can be reminded to read it at a certain time every day or whatever, or you can use the link that I've included in the sermon notes, and you can find this online. These 100 passages are, will give you the big picture of the Bible, and they will chart your progress along the way. And you could read it. I've already started, so I'm ahead of you. But you could read it in 100 days or 100 weeks or whatever, but just, this is just a way to, to practically uh, ingest God's Word, read this Word, and put it into practice. It will form the foundation of your life, and it's the only way to survive the storm, whatever that storm is. Do you know what weebles are? You know, they wobble, but they don't fall down. You know that? I think our girls had, I don't know if they existed when I was a kid or not, but, uh, you know, those little plastic figurines and they're weighted at the bottom and you know you hit them and they just bounce and come right back up again now a, a more uh modern version that came along i think our family's had a few of them is, is the bop bag where you know they have this inflatable like figure of some sort of superhero or a bad guy or whatever and, and it's weighted at the bottom and you just you hit that bag and boom it pops right back up again and so you can take out your frustrations or just exercise or have fun or whatever it is and and, and it works because the foundation is heavier than the rest of the bag uh, so no matter how you hit it or where you hit it or why you hit it it returns to the same place i just want you to hear this morning that 
when the weight of Christ is your foundation. The storms of life smack you around. You bounce back. His Word, His truth brings you back to center. So when Satan goes bang, you go bing. When all hell breaks loose, wham, bam, bam, you go bing, bing, bing. Because whoever builds on that rock, when the hurricane is over, that house, that life is still standing. Would you stand with me? And if you know the chorus of this hymn, you can join me in singing it. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Thanks be to God.